0: What would you do if everyone said they heard your trailer a hundred times? You'd probably make a new one. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, The Ringer's first ever true crime pod. We've been hunting a con man for a few weeks now, and our hunt is coming to an end. Schemes, heartbreak, how to put on a wire. We've covered all this and more, but there are still a few surprises left. Binge The Wedding Scammer wherever you get your podcasts.
1: To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply.
0: See mintmobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. Enter the Kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk
1: now. now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Rye, and I am an editor at theringer.com. And joining me in the studio, a massive unidentified terrestrial organism. <laughs> it's Sean Fennessey.
2: Do you think Kaya could just cut in the Godzilla roar <laughs> for my response I actually here?
1: have to fill an entire episode. Greenwald is uh, is traveling for mm-hmm. the holidays. And maybe we should just have a second half. It's like almost like a white noise pod where it's just Godzilla roars and see how it does numbers-wise. I mean, the
2: audience loves white noise. Yeah. I use white noise every night. <laughs> every night. So
1: should all of our pods just be white noise? Um, I mean, that would take a real chunk out of the white noise, like, little pod. That, you know, like those little machines that they make. It would yeah. take a chunk out of their business. That's fine. All right. I'm okay with that. Sean, I have you here because I want to talk to you about Monarch Legacy of Monsters. I feel like <laughs> this is... Uh, <laughs> we are so back! We are back, kind of, man. I mean, we are kind of back. Yeah. and And I'm glad that Apple is a big enough tent to make Killers of the Flower Moon and Monarch Legacy of Monsters. My guy Tim, your boy Eddie, they are supporting the arts, yep. whether you like it or not. So today we're going to talk about the first two episodes of this show. I would not say you need an advanced degree in the monster verse to enjoy the show. But would you, would you agree with that?
2: I think there's some upside to watching Godzilla, the 2014 yes. film from Warner brothers,
1: Warner brothers. Yeah. Legendary. It's yeah. the legendary monster verse. And I think it's, yeah. it's a, it's a franchise. You and I kind of have like a, not even a begrudging, but like a, a like kind of like secret affection for. I like it quite a bit. However,
2: each of the four films don't really seem to be in conversation with one another. (laughs) Um, The four films in the franchise are Godzilla from 2014, directed by uh, Uh, Gareth Edwards. Edwards. And then in 2017, we got Kong Skull Island. Which was a
1: movie that you and I were like, we got it.
2: Here we go. They were like, what if King Kong but Apocalypse Now? Yes. Which on paper, I was like, you know, just auto-asphyxiate me into joy. And in execution, I thought it was a little daffier and goofier than I wanted it to yeah. be. and then we got Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which is Michael Michael Doherty's Daugherty, movie, yeah. which I thought had incredible monster work
1: and some of the worst character work you'll see. And that's the beginning, really, of like the whole monarch storyline for this, right? Yes. In, in although earnest, there,
2: are, there are indications of it through all of the films, like some of the very cool Brian Cranston, oh, Juliette right. Binoche stuff in the first film. I mean, Brian Cranston and Julia Pinoch were in the Godzilla movie. Uh, that's Christ the
1: sake. thing is that I was going through all these films and even going through the show we're about to talk about, the amount of talent involved in these. It's wild. Like Bear McCreary doing music <laughs> for one of these movies for King of the Monsters in 2019. And now it's this franchise is being stewarded sort of by Adam Wingard.
2: Yes, he, he directed the uh, Godzilla vs. Kong film and he is making another film in this series. And so now this is an attempt, I think... To pull together a lot of the threads, um, together, you know, Anders Holm in this new series plays a character that John Goodman played mm-hmm. in Kong Skull Island. You know, the, the the shades of the Ken Watanabe character from the Godzilla film seem to be informing a lot of the the Japanese characters sure. from this film. So there is an attempt to kind of pull all the pickup sticks together and hold them to in an origin way with the show. Yeah. I've only seen two as well.
1: Yeah, so I I have not watched ahead and so we'll only be talking about the two that they released last week. The third episode goes up I believe on Wednesday and it takes almost a full 2 hours to get to the reveal of one of the reasons the, for the price of admission which is Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is is in this uh series as a sort of aging somewhat kooky ex-military guy named Lee Shaw, we, we also get a, a healthy dose of him as a young man, played by Kurt Russell's own son, Wyatt Russell. And there's a ton going on in this. One of the things that Andy and I have been kind of like bumping our heads up against in the last couple of weeks, I know you've been super busy with movies, so, aside from the curse, I don't know how much TV you're taking down. I'm, I'm taking down so many episodes of The Watch, though.
2: The Watch know, is my favorite I really podcast. <laughs> I fucking love The Watch. <laughs> Andy, I tell him all the time, I think you guys are doing incredible work, but I am developing a parasocial relationship not with The Watch because you guys are my actual friends who I love, but with TV. Right. Because of The Watch. You're kind
1: of like, I follow TV through listening to pods about TV. Yes. It's a really busy time for Sean, but I also think that there are certain things that Andy and I are kind of starting to get allergic to that I would imagine you are like, I need an EpiPen if I have to see three flashbacks to start like a pilot of a show. So this series starts with such stuff. They almost make... The bug into a feature, though, where now I I think by the second episode, once you get used to all the time hopping that the show does, you're kind of like, I don't really let's go.
2: Yeah, I I thought the first episode was a pretty tough hang, honestly, because there's so much uh, orchestration that Mm -hmm. needs to happen to introduce a number of characters on two different timelines. And both of those timelines are flashbacks, but one is 60 years ago and one is 10 years ago. So I thought it was a little bit challenging to understand why they structured the show this way. By the second episode, which seems to be like a reverse of a reverse flashback, which I'd never really seen before in a show, uh, I thought... I got into it, basically.
1: Yeah, there, so let's just do a little bit of, like, sort of broad strokes. This is created by a comic book legend, Matt Fraction, along with Chris Black. Not not the How Long Gone Chris Black, but no. a, a screenwriter who's worked on some Star Trek stuff in the past. Matt Fraction is responsible for really, like, the only comics I still check in on, which are, like, his Hawkeye run, Casanova. Like, I really enjoy his, his stuff. I think he's got love Matt. an incredible sensibility like it's essentially like all the shit that i am interested in matt fraction seems to be interested in and he applies it to these different like iconic superhero characters and so to see him working with with chris black on this idea which is essentially like what's going on with the human beings in the monster verse the major thing that you need to know about this is this it's like basically an era spanning conspiracy theory uh thriller adventure that's also dressed up as a multi-generational family drama about the discovery and cover-up of Godzilla and the Mutos, which I, I mentioned are the uh, massive unidentified terrestrial organisms. Um, You're and, a big Muto guy. Who's your favorite Muto? I, lo- You know what? I gotta say, I was pretty into that fucking bat at the end of the second episode. No spoilers. But, like, that guy throwing a boat 5,000 miles across the Pacific is not bad work. Super bat. That's your guy? That's my dude. Not, not Mothra. Um I like the idea that they're just doing, like, this layering job of the secrecy of the Monarch organization and the efforts to sort of keep what, what is actually happening out here in the world with, like, all these monsters underground, both literally and figuratively, with the secrets of these families, these two or three families that have kind of collided here. Uh, it jumps back and forth between a sort of contemporary-ish 2015 storyline set in a world after Godzilla attacks San Francisco— it uh, turns out he was he was actually just warning us about Rob Manfred's plan to pull the A's out of Oakland. Well, he failed uh, because they're going to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a young woman named Kate, a uh, teacher, goes to Japan to settle her father's late affairs only to find that he had another family. And then we are also given a storyline from the 1950s uh, where a doctor or scientist named uh, uh, Keiko Mayura along with him... Uh, sort of a uh, soldier named Lee Shaw, who is overseeing like a kind of project and Billy Randa, who is the young version of John Goodman is played by Anders Holm are investigating some strange monster related occurrences in far flung places like Kazakhstan and the Philippines. There's a lot of fun casting as we have mentioned. And the show kind of has this built in way of being both serialized and episodic mm-hmm. because, and we're going to c- kind of get into details and spoilers here if you haven't watched these yet. But in the first episode, Keiko presumably dies. She is pulled into a pit of uh, hatching monster eggs, essentially. And you're like, wow, that's too bad. And then the next episode, they're just doing seven years earlier. Uh, So you can kind of jump around timelines to constantly like... I've never seen that. I've never seen a dual
2: timeline show that then does a flashback on one of the timelines. I know. I know. And
1: now that's asking a lot of the audience. So here's my idea about what they're doing. And I, without fur- further knowledge or whether they planned on doing dozens of seasons of this show, nobody really does. But, you know, I, let's just, for the sake of argument, say they're going to do two or three seasons. You could do what I thought this show was going to be, which is X-Files in the Monsterverse. Which is like a group of people in the 1950s running around the globe yeah. investigating weird isotopes and tremors. And you have presumably 7 years of cover like of area to cover where you can go oh there was a test here or there was like a a forest disappeared yeah. there monster of the week yeah and yeah. I, I think that that would be pretty cool but they are obviously uh, trying to weave together this like massive uh, this massive storyline with this contemporary story that also features Kiersey clemens as like a hacker uh Joe Tippett, who the homies recognize from the January sixth episode of Morning Show and yeah. also Mayor of who are the Uh just like all my my oath Keepers out I there <laughs> who really keep it real for Mayor of Easttown and the morning show. Yeah. It's a very unique <laughs> Venn diagram. No, I'm sure Joe Tippett yeah. was not actually at the Capitol building okay. on January 6th. Okay. Um i uh, I have a couple of questions for you about this, though. okay. What, so now, currently, after watching two episodes of this, the last couple of movies, I know you said there's been some diminishing returns. what's your What's your monsterverse portfolio position? Um, is it aggressive? I'm holding? Okay. I'm
2: holding. I, I will see any movie in this universe. any movie. Yeah, it does not matter how bad. One thing that I, as a man of 41 years, really enjoy is when Godzilla just steps on things, right? That's just something I like. I like to see Godzilla wreaking havoc on our world metropolises. So if that is in play, I would like to participate. Okay. One thing I also like is watching a monster punch another monster in the face.
1: That's actually like really what I'm
2: interested in. That's the heavyweight title bouts. I'm not
1: here for the undercard.
2: Godzilla versus Kong, I thought it paid off. You know, like the last 20 minutes of that movie gave me what I wanted. Getting underneath the bureaucracy of the corporations that are trying to manage the MonsterVerse little bit of a tough sell for me. Mm-hmm. I have limited time these days to view television programs. I'm fully immersed in the curse. Yes. And uh, it's taking up a lot of psychological weight.
1: I'm sure that's a really good place to be on a daily basis as you drive around East Los Angeles <laughs> going to Target. No, I, you know, <laughs> the thing is like... Can you uh, imagine the guy at <laughs> the Tide section in his long Zoom? <laughs>
2: yeah, Amanda and I just talked about the new Hunger Games movie on on, on the big picture. Uh-huh. And... That is the same thing that this is. This is a brand extension. This is a, a, as Amanda put it, a reheating of something that has value to keep it in the consciousness as we wait for the next installment of something else. And I know why this is happening. We understand. All you need to make it work is just a little bit of ingenuity and a little bit of strong performance. Mm-hmm. I love White Russell. I, Kurt Russell is a god to me. Yeah. So I'm going to watch the show. Like, I'm going to finish the show.
1: Is it, Is it a little bit like astonishing that these two guys are in this show? Well, it's been noted that I think this is Kurt Russell's first TV appearance in
2: 60 years or something like that since he was like a teenager. Which, honestly, like I'm surprised because I I would just assume he would have, you know, Got in, got in the bag yeah. sooner, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, just like, why is Taylor Sheridan not putting just him replace John Dutton? Yeah, just like Jim
1: Dutton, just make him like a,
2: a Sacramento marshal, yeah. you know, who drives around and picks up criminals. I would watch that show. Uh, as far as better understanding
1: Monarch, uh, do I need that? I don't know. I mean, one of the things that's been kind of interesting to watch with this series in particular is that unlike a lot of them there is seemingly no designated creative overlord of it mm-hmm. you know it's passed right. from director to director uh i think jordan vote roberts was was like very excited to do uh skull island but then was it was taken over by michael daughtry it was taken over by uh uh adam, adam Wingard. Wingard, yeah. these scripts are passed around by tons of very talented very well-paid screenwriters including like Dan Gilroy and Derek Connolly yeah. and all these... You see Toby Harold's name on a lot of yeah, the mon- Monarch yeah, stuff. Yeah, so I think that there's obviously somebody, you know, maybe maybe that is jo- Joby Harold. Right? Uh, maybe me, yeah. he is sort of like the, the guy who's like keeping all the strands together. And now Matt Shackman does the first two episodes of this. And I, I wanted to quickly ask you about the Matt Shackman part of this because this is a guy who's done dozens, if not hundreds, of episodes of television, including forty-three episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Directed two uh late period Game of Thrones episodes, I mm-hmm. believe, uh a succession episode. And But he's been on ever, almost every everything. prestige TV show. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Billions, Good Wife, yeah. like everything yeah. you can imagine. Then does WandaVision, which is obviously in retrospect, probably the most creative, creatively compelling Marvel series other than Loki. Uh, First and, four
2: episodes of that show, I think, are the best thing Marvel have done in television.
1: Yes. And is now the prince who was promised over at the MCU, at least in so much as that he is being given the Fantastic Four keys. And I could imagine, especially with uh, Dustin Cretton not doing Avengers now, that the Shackman kind of like, yeah, is gonna the ace get is the, fantastic. he forward. can do yeah. the Russo's leap if he wants to. Yeah. And he does a good job in this. I thought that the interesting decision that they obviously had to make in the show is everybody is Werner Herzog here. They want to see the baby. You know, they want to see the monsters. What did you think of small screen Godzillas? Not Godzilla itself, but like small screen Mudos and then the brief shot of Godzilla that we get in the San Francisco sequence. Um,
2: it reminded me a lot of my experience watching The Mandalorian, mm. where... There are these kind of great moments of CGI Star Wars world monsters. Yeah. Um, There was one in particular where there was sort of like a buried creature. In Mandalorian. In Mandalorian. I want to say season two. And I thought that was one of the more ingenious sequences of that series. And that it looked pretty good for a TV show. And I thought this looked pretty good. Yeah. For a monster show. Yeah, Jess Hall shot it. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't have, because it's episodic TV, it doesn't have nothing climaxes there's like monster movies have a very specific series of beats that they have to reach as Mm -hmm. you watch them. I've seen hundreds of monster movies in my life. And because we're trapped in this slow drip of information because of the nature of episodic TV, they can't give you payoff. Right. I think it's okay. I don't have to see Godzilla for 45 minutes in a TV show. That wouldn't be a good idea either. But I, with the exception of your bat friend, um, Mm -hmm. I think I wanted more. Yeah. I think hatching bug eggs was neat as the conclusion to the first episode. But also we know that this is like the main character of the show who we just met and she's not going to die. Yeah. So the stakes are low. And it's a challenge with with Monster of the Week shows in general. You know, it was a challenge with X-Files too. So
1: I I think... But X-Files, to your point, I think X-Files knew ideally they would be making 20 episodes a season for as many seasons as they possibly could. And there were different storylines, whether it was Mulder and Scully's romantic kind of chemistry Mm -hmm. or the larger cigarette smoking man, alien invasion stuff. Yep. But they could also do, there was a weird murder in Iowa that we need to sort of figure out. And why does this guy think he's a vampire, but he's just a guy, you know? Do you think that Monarch
2: is intended to be a five season show?
1: I don't think you can sustain something that looks this expensive and has this many people in it. Like I don't think Andrew's home was like, I wanna play Billy Randa for fifty episodes of television. Now maybe he did. I I have no idea. You know, it's like it's gotta be nice for the mortgage though. Sure. Yeah. And I think it's probably like pretty pretty exciting to like go wherever they've shot the Philippines stuff mm-hmm. or the Kazakhstan stuff. I mean, I can't imagine it was in Kazakhstan. Yeah. Uh and do this stuff, it, there is my a My fun- monarch! <laughs> There's a funny moment. Um, I was watching in one when they're running away from the hatching eggs uh-huh. and they're like, go, 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 run! And I was kind of <laughs> like, this is what Allen Ginsberg felt like when he was like, I've seen the greatest minds of my <laughs> generation. And it, it goes all the way back to Shia running from like CGI transformers yep. Yep. and there's that montage of Shia in those movies just be like go run go we gotta go run run <laughs> and I was like these guys are all so fucking good at acting and yeah. they're just like reduced to screaming run yeah. against a green scream
2: I thought you were gonna say it reminded you of watching uh, Zach Wilson on Sunday
1: <laughs> go go
2: go run 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 not that no. <laughs> much uh yeah it's tough it's yeah. tough I for Kurt Russell this is what he does man like he makes movies like this sure. so
1: he is very at home and Andrew's home you know he was not workaholics it's all good he, I'm can, not, he can hack it I mean in terms of like its longevity Like, Can a show like this go on for years and years and years? And But you know what it can do is if you start to chop up the timelines the way they are, there's really no reason why they can't say in the second season we're going to do a 1970s Alan Pekula version of this with a different Mm -hmm. cast who are now related to the Monarch. Well,
2: okay. Are you going to get annoyed with me if I start doing, like, why does this exist and what is Apple doing? No, you know why it exists. So, this has been under discussion with... The performance of The Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon yeah. opening this week, Apple has Lessons in Chemistry starring Brie Larson right now. You guys hilariously covered that show on this podcast. Yeah, um, They've had a lot of big ticket items mm-hmm. of late, and they're obviously making a very serious push towards both um, prestigious, awards-worthy stuff and easily consumed Commercial content. stuff, yeah. yeah. And... We know why that is, obviously. Like, it draws uh, brand awareness for their incredibly powerful company. It gets them closer to powerful people and exciting people. You get to work with Leonardo DiCaprio, Martin Scorsese, you got to do it. If you can work with Godzilla, you got to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, there's... All these things make sense and their strategy, but the thing that differentiates Apple from all these other companies is, I guess, that Amazon, to some extent, although they've been in the content game longer, is they don't... They're not trying to, like, make money from their streaming service. Right could eventually be something that, you know, generates a profit for them. But it is just a marketing tool. That is all that it is. Yeah. And this show is a really interesting question in a different way than Killers of the Flower Moon. Because I'm like, that movie is getting 10 Oscar nominations. It doesn't, the box office doesn't matter for that movie. And it never did. They didn't make it for that reason. Right. But Monarch, you would imagine, has been created to get people to sign up.
1: Yeah, I think it ticks a quadrant box. You know, I think it's probably... If this had been a some version of a blockbuster movie this past summer, I think I would have seen it. You know, yeah, like, I agree. And The, the, I, the Godzilla prequel, basically. Yeah, yeah, and I think that... I can't really begin to understand Apple's strategy because when you look at, like, even my basic understanding of the kind of money that they make from phones and computers that they sell and the services that they sell, like the actual, like, everything from having Apple Music or having Apple Storage or using whatever services that they have, even credit cards, all that stuff. I don't even understand what the math is on their investment in entertainment and the return on entertainment. The best guess that I have is that if you are targeting the kind of affluent consumer who can afford to spend $700 on a phone every 18 months and you want them to increasingly centralize their experience of the digital world on their Apple TV box, Mm -hmm. their iPhone, their Apple Music, their whatever, giving them a variety of stuff to watch that feels like their phone, very high-end, but also very consumable. Mm -hmm. Makes sense to me. Now, I don't know whether there's like... A long-term strategy for them to be a buyer of one of these distressed asset net- streaming networks out there and were they to go and buy you know max or whatever they could do like would that change the dynamics of what they're what they're offering i think that the myth of like Al- apple sitting on a trillion dollars in cash and they could just like save any industry they wanted to at any given moment i, I don't i don't really know what tim cook wants to do in that regard But yeah, like I think that Apple is making shows like this because they think that people who use Apple products want to watch shows like this. Right. So I guess is that.
2: Does it. Is this ultimately a long term rounding error or. A genuine pursuit, like the, the acquisition thing, is funny. This has been rumored for years. Mm-hmm. Apple will buy Disney. Yeah, Apple, Apple will buy. Apple was going to buy Warner Brand Brothers Discovery. Discovery. Apple's, Apple's going to buy. Conan like like yes. yeah,
1: Apple was going to save every. Yeah. Yes,
2: and they never do. Right. You know why? Because they make things. They make things for wholesale. They they take ideas from other companies, I'm sure, and they evolve them. Yeah. But they make things, and so they're they're making their things now. This is the, we we see what they are. They are prestige film projects. They are F1 movies with Brad Pitt they are Lessons in Chemistry, they're Hijack. You know, they're making kind of like
1: kind of the airplane movies of TV. Sure. They're also filling a huge void that's being left there because a lot of these streaming services are, these streaming networks are strapped for cash, are going through mergers or identity crises. So Mm -hmm. it's like Showtime being sucked into Paramount and Max and Warner Brothers combining in Discovery and all this stuff. And it's like, you could make an argument that 75% of the stuff that's on Apple five, 10 years ago would have been a Netflix show, an FX show, or an HBO show. Masters of the Air should be on Max. Like, I don't understand. That's, that's a stunning development that the third part of this trilogy of World War II miniseries is from Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks I would imagine that they initially had the conversations with Warner to be like, do you want to continue this relationship? And Apple obviously stumped up what was a lot of money for what looks like an incredibly expensive show. Um, Okay, well, let me
2: ask you this then, with this in mind. So, in 10 years, Disney will be making films and television. There's no question. This is at the heart of their business, generating new properties to get people invested in the rest of the world of saleability that they have. Will Apple?
1: Oh, I definitely think so. I definitely think so. Because,
2: because there's I, money in it? Because there's
1: prestige in it? Because I think it it offers them... I think people are going to increasingly want stuff to watch. Mm-hmm. It, and, and they're going to want it on all the devices, all of which are made by Apple. And there is a dark, dark world out there where Apple is one of like one of two or three places still making this stuff.
2: Yeah, I'm wondering. Because I wonder if what we are actually just experiencing is... The hangover from a boomlet. We had a streaming boomlet for five years, inspired yeah. by Netflix getting way ahead of everybody. I hear you guys talk about this all the time. I hear Matt Bellamy talk about this all the time. And because of that, ca- that kind of free cash flow that they have, this can be a lark. They can do this for five years, and they can decide, you know, we don't want to do it anymore, or like we'll just license things, Or, yeah. You know, we're, or we're no longer producing the Apple TV set top box, and so we don't care. Like, and because they do go forward and develop things and spend money on things. Developing a car, developing a television. They've gone down the road as a corporation trying to figure out new products, and then they'll abandon them because they have these core properties that work so well. So, you know, when I grouse about physical media, when I grouse about, like, the kind of, like, watering down of all the stuff that we watch, um, I'm always interested to know, like, what the long-term life cycle is with something like this because if Monarch is meant to be a show that's on until 2030 then you would imagine they're in it for the long haul. If this is just like what you're supposed to watch until the next Adam Wingard
1: Godzilla movie. I think they have pretty big ambitions. I think that stuff like the MLS deal, mm-hmm. I think the rumors about them getting involved in some of the live sports rights. You think
2: they'll do one of those? They have baseball, obviously. Uh,
1: yeah, and I and I think it's basically a... It seems like it's a race between them and Netflix for one of these companies to, or Google to to jump in. I mean... Like, slowly I am starting to use YouTube TV to watch all of this, all of my sports now anyway, Mm -hmm. um, because the NBA League Pass is really good on YouTube, NFL League Pass is really good on YouTube, like, I can see that being pretty soon a reality. This is not even... That would
2: necessitate an Apple-Google
1: combo. Well, I mean, (laughs) I have that. I have my YouTube app on my Apple TV That's true, I do too, I I do too. That's how how, I watch everything. That's how I watch most of my stuff now. Yeah, I
2: I watched a long conversation between uh, Ryan Johnson, Michael Fassbender, and and David David Fincher on YouTube, and I was like, "This is better than any show I watched this week." I agree with you. So, and that is TV now, in some ways too, and that's what's interesting. But it's in such stark contrast to the 100 million dollar Monarch show, which is like pretty good. Yeah, not not bad. But
1: I don't know. Is it the question? Is is like was this? I I guess my my question is: Did you guys make this show because you wanted to? make a prestige drama set within the world of the MonsterVerse, or did you make it because you were like, we can get monsters on Apple TV? And I think at the end of the year when we do an ad and it's like Brie Larson, Godzilla, Austin Butler, (laughs) and Robert De Niro, like we all pat ourselves on the back about that regardless of how well these shows do. I think that's ultimately the case.
2: I think you nailed it. I think that's really what it boils down to, which is not necessarily a bad thing. For years, HBO, one of my favorite things that HBO would do would be the kind of preview yeah. of what's to come, yeah. and they would do the montage of the new season of The and Sopranos think, oh god, or I Game of Thrones, shot, yeah. yeah, or like a movie that they had that that Warner's had produced or that they had licensed that was coming to to, to the channel. Yeah. You know, you'd be like, "Oh my god, I can't wait to see Get Shorty on HBO." Yeah. And I saw one second of John Travolta and Get Shorty, so I understand the impulse for that. It's great marketing. It's just weird when it's it's the the Thirty Rock, you know, corporation that makes. The uh, you know that makes like mops, but they are making TV and movies, and not only TV and movies, but the highest grade TV and movies.
1: Yeah, I try not to get too into my head about that because isn't that what like I mean? Didn't GE own you know like Paramount? Like they or, did. They, own, they owned the NBC. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. like we're not we're not that far removed from you know we can't go back to the nineteen thirties right. and forties. So You're it's right. always been like part of a corporate portfolio. I think that the thing that nobody understands is why is Apple not not doesn't have to play by the same rules as everybody else.
2: What is one Apple show that I haven't seen that I should watch? Did you watch hijack? I did not.
1: I think you would really like it. But is that the best? Like,
2: is that really,
1: I think that given what you've been talking about with like, I don't have the time. I have to watch too many movies. And then when I start a television show, if you start with like a flashback Mm. and also like drip, drip, drip of information, hijack is just like, this is six episodes or whatever. It's basically told in real time. There's, like, one or two dumb subplots, but for the most part, it's Idris Elba being fucking incredible. Okay. Like, you would watch that over the over the Thanksgiving break, and you'll be like, that was deeply satisfying.
2: So, I do need a show like that for the Thanksgiving break, so maybe I will watch it. I'm sure Eileen will watch it with me. But, I think on this show, you guys have been talking about, like, oh, we started a show. Yeah. We didn't really yeah. like it that much. We stopped talking about it for two or three we don't want to kill episodes. a show for
1: nine weeks. Right. You know?
2: You gotta just you just gotta do CR and Andy's picks. You gotta what you that's just what, did with Hijack. That's what I mean. I'm
1: doing in the second half of this episode. Are you really? CR's Thanksgiving.
2: Okay. So yeah. They, Service um, mind melt. So. Because that's what I'm I'm the people. Like that is what the people need for TV. <laughs> I know and I also realize that next year, like fewer shows are gonna be made and this won't be yeah. as much of a concern because there will be consolidation and all those things. Nevertheless, I don't think that the like moment to moment recap of what happened on Hijack matters that much, but what does matter to me is CR in eight sentences saying, here's why you need hijack in your life, and then the rest of the conversation can be wet chicken. You know what I mean? Just,
1: just Listen to you, executive producing just, The just, Watch. Just, I love it. Well, because I'm, I'm deeply <laughs>
2: in, immersed. This is my only opportunity to give feedback because I don't have to worry about Andy being mad that I'm giving feedback.
1: We've made Amanda wait for seven minutes for okay. us to begin recording the big picture Great. today. Uh, Kaya, thank you for recording me and Sean. I'm going to come back and give you a little bit of a, a TV guide for your Thanksgiving break. Thank you so much, Sean.
0: Thank you for going to
1: the MonsterVerse with me and uh, have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks, buddy. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile for more details.
0: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got You know, Sean gave us this idea. It's one I've
1: been thinking of anyway, but it was like a good idea from Sean about needing a watching guide for Thanksgiving because this is honestly one of those times of the year where people have a lot of hours on their hands and they actually yeah. might just be sitting around sometimes with family members that they're done making small talk with and they'd love <laughs> to have something to to throw on for the family. Do you find yourself watching a lot of TV over the Thanksgiving break?
3: Yeah, absolutely, and I also find myself prior to me going home kind of as, amassing like an arsenal of shows that I can be like hey guys let's put this on <laughs> let's let's keep the the magnifying glass off kaya
1: and put it on some piece exactly. of prestige television well i'm i'm here to help great now the first one i did think of thinking of you kaya cuz you are one of the chief supporters of the the bravo verse mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. you know you're watching vanderpump you're watching below deck i know you love your reality television i do this first suggestion is for anyone out there who loves reality television. This show just happens to be, the reality happens to be in the late 1800s. And that is the Gilded Age on HBO Max. <laughs> it is not obviously an, a, a reality show. It's it's the sort of newer series from uh, Julian Fellows who did uh, Downton Abbey, a much beloved portrait of upstairs, downstairs, uh, class strata in England set at the... Uh, Famous home in England, the famous manor, Down Abbey. This one is more of a citywide spectacle in New York City at the end of the 19th century, I guess. And hey. it's as like the Industrial Revolution is happening, the rise of robber barons, but beyond all those big socio, political, economic movements, this is a show about nothing. Here's some of the <laughs> plot lines from the second season of the Gilded Age.
3: Hit me. Um
1: People are trying to decide whether or not to buy a box at the Metropolitan Opera House or the Academy of Music. Okay. A servant is building a clock. A young man is sleeping with an older widow. A new rector is in town. Most of the scenes in this show are basically two people talking in a room and then one of those people going to another room and telling everybody what that person just said.
3: That's very Bravo-esque. So, Yeah spot on and
1: obviously uh at the watch industries we support christine bransky and everything she does she plays uh mrs van ryan in this movie or i think agnes van ryan and um she's sort of an old spinster paired with cynthia nixon her sister and they kind of look out their windows and comment on everything that's happening in new york high society carrie coon Plays mm. a woman named Mrs. Russell, who I just found out her first name was Bertha. On this last episode, <laughs> I was shocked to hear that. Uh, there is some serious stuff. There's um, right now. There's going through a big union busting plot line on this on this show. Timely uh, uh, Booker T. Washington has shown up. They're 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 doing some stuff down south. But like honestly, most of the show is like who is being quartered uh, by whom, and who has money. Is it money new? Is it old? And who's mad at who? And the, a lot of that is just the bare bones of of, uh, of reality television. There are four episodes into the second season on Gilded Age. I got to be completely honest. You could probably start with the second season.
3: <laughs> That's great. You'll be Different just as underwater. Yeah, anyway. You have maybe already watched the first season. They're like, you know what? Let's just dive in with my parents or my family for the second. There'll be a lot of like, who's this? And why
1: is she mad? And what's this one's name? But- I think that this show is actually pretty user-friendly. Like, So to be completely honest with you, my, my wife loves this show, but I had missed the first two episodes of the second season. Last night, we watched three and four, and about midway through three, I was like, of course, honey, that's Henderson. He's from Pittsburgh. And it's like, you'll figure it out if you pay right. attention. One thing I really did notice about Gilded Age this season, and maybe this is the case for the first season as well, I don't really remember, is for his silly... And inconsequential as some of the plot lines feel, it's very brisk. Even though these episodes are 55 minutes, I think each scene lasts about, like, I don't know, a minute. Like, they're very, very quick scenes. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of drama. A lot of gossip going on. So there's always something to hang your hat on.
3: That sounds great. There's really nothing like low-stakes period drama for the holidays, you know? It's crown. Yes. And this maybe
1: is a little bit less, like agonizing and traumatic as this season of sure. the Crown is, although I have not watched the season of the Crown, I am saving this season of the Crown for watching with my mom. but if you have a chance if you if you've watched the Crown, I highly recommend listening to uh, the Crown podcasting that's being done on the prestige TV pod. okay, my next suggestion for folks, and this is one that we've covered a little bit earlier this year is if you want a bingeable comedy that you can binge in practically one night so obviously during the pandemic, we saw this sort of explosion of uh, people going back to sitcoms like Friends or The Office and watching them over and over and over again, Seinfeld, so on and so forth. I think one that if you wanted to do it over the course of a day or two that you could do pretty easily is Jury Duty on Freeview. Mm, now, Freeview is cool too because you don't need a subscription necessarily to Prime Video. You right. can just fire that up. Uh, it's pretty easy to have on, on um, like most smart TVs will probably have some sort of access to Amazon. Did you get a chance? We talked about Jury Duty some on the show, but did you like
3: it? I love Jury Duty. I think it's in the running for one of my favorites of the year. It's just a, such an unexpectedly sweet show. And yeah, I think the concept was really fresh and something I hadn't previously seen. So that was enjoyable.
1: Yeah. And that's this is what Kai is saying is exactly right. The same qualities that people sort of respond to, I think, in The Office and The Good Place and Parks and Rec where there's like a healthy dose of cringe comedy, but there's also this like incredibly kind heart.
0: Yes. It
1: reveals itself over the course of six or seven episodes with Jury Duty. And honestly, it's a surprising show. It's a laugh out loud show. It's a really high concept show, but it's one that you'll feel totally normal watching with your mom or your dad.
3: Yeah, I would say like minus one scene I'm having mind, but I would not totally parent say. <laughs>
1: Very parent-friendly. Okay, this one, I don't know how parent-friendly it is. It depends on your parents. But <laughs> I was thinking about this because this is a show I've only recently checked out uh, and I'm not even through the first season, but I've really been into it and it's sort of a random watch for me. Uh, I had heard from some folks that The Missing, which is a British show, is it, on stars. There are two seasons of it. I had heard that that would be kind of like a good mayor of Easttown replacement drug. Um mm-hmm. this show I believe was on in like 2017 2015 something like that okay. the first season but it stars James Nesbitt and Francis O'Connor and it's essentially uh, it's pretty dark but it's a child abduction story set during uh, the 2006 World Cup in France and so this British couple is on is in France for the World Cup they wind up having to go to like a small town and their child gets kidnapped during that time basically the mystery itself stretches out over the course of years where uh you know they they are still trying to find out who who, who abducted their child years later but i thought it had a really electric combination of both barevistaun kind of family drama and svu like law and order svu kind of mystery unraveling so if you were looking for something albeit quite dark but if you have like a dark Appetite after Thanksgiving, <laughs> I would check out the missing. It's on Stars. You can usually do like a free trial of Stars for like a week. So if you're home there and you, you wanted go. to watch this, this might be something you could check out.
3: I mean, when you're saying filling Mayor Town hole in my yeah. heart, that that you know, that's what I've been missing this year.
1: I haven't really felt like it's has as, like the comic relief of like Gene Smart and Mayor, Mayor <laughs> Town or some of like okay. that fun stuff, but it does definitely have some of that the elements of that. And there's a second season with Keely Hawes in it that if you're, if you're fully into The Missing, you can check out that as well. Um, everybody has an uncle <laughs> who's like history uncle, who's the uncle mm. who likes talking about Jack Ryan, who wants to watch Tom Clancy shows. If you're out of Tom Clancy shows, if you've gotten to the bottom of the Jack Ryan barrel, there's always special ops lioness.
3: Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so on Paramount Plus, it might be a little bit um uh dark. Insanely violent and dark. Yeah. But I think that the middle part of the season like from episodes like 2 on has more of like a Jack Ryan feel. Like once it gets yeah. out like up until like I think maybe the last two episodes are a little bit more like uh politically and Ambiguous, but like I think, uh-huh. but the the middle section is like much more like traditional, like doing an op, dealing with the fallout of an op, lots of calls to Washington DC. So, if you have sure. Jack Ryan uncle at the house, if you have Jack Ryan dad at the house, Special Ops Lioness on Paramount Plus might might scratch that edge.
3: If there's one thing that can bring families together, it's Taylor Sheridan. Yes, <laughs>
1: <laughs> he brings us all together. He's the Big tent. Um, it's funny you say that, bringing families together. Mm-hmm. So I tried to think of something for everyone. This is a show that we've talked about quite a bit on The Watch this year. But I do think it's probably the most satisfying thing for the most amount of different people at a at a Thanksgiving holiday. If they're in the house, if you guys are all looking for something to watch, it's something that you can finish in a couple of nights.
3: Mm-hmm. And that's
1: Hijack on Apple.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I can, I just I haven't really met anybody who thinks Hijack's bad.
3: I mean, yeah, because it's just so it's so satisfying and it so is what it is. And it's not trying to be anything more.
1: Yeah. And I so I just think that if if this is the situation where, you know, obviously, if you've seen Hijack already, it might not be the most rewarding second watch. But who knows? Maybe you pick up on stuff.
3: Because, yeah, I feel like there's Easter eggs throughout the show that you might pick up on more the second time around.
1: This is the hard part about modern television, though, is that there's so much new stuff to watch all the time that something like The Missing might get lost. And right. something that might be rewarding like watching Hijack again, you're probably like, okay, but they've got we've got Murder at the End of the World, we've got The Curse, we've got The Crown, we've got so many new things on to check out. I think Murder at the End of the World could be a, a decent holiday watch. I wouldn't necessarily want to watch those episodes again, but that's another example of like a pretty... Pretty cool mystery with a nice, like, romance at the center of it. Uh, I'm looking Mm -hmm. forward to watching the third episode of that. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of what else we might have missed over the last couple of weeks that I would recommend. I mean, The Missing is obviously something because I wanted to go a little bit into the bag. And Andy and I, uh, you know, we've talked about things like, gosh, I don't know. I mean, like, dark is a really good one if you want to start a binge but it is like a huge commitment because it winds up being three what was seasons. the spin-off
3: called or not the spin-off but the- so
1: yeah if you liked dark you might want to check out 1899 which came out in 2022 on Netflix and I think and it was sadly already canceled so I don't know if that was going to expand to different places but that is like almost headier than dark in what they were trying to do and it was all set on a a luxury liner going across the Atlantic in 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 1899,
3: and I found it pretty to be pretty contained in one season. I didn't feel like it left off too much on a cliffhanger, so that you were not going to go in and be disappointed that it's not getting a second season.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a little bit long episode in terms of its episode count, but I think that you could have a lot of fun checking it out. The only thing I would say is that for bigger crowds of people watching it. Like there's so many different languages being spoken that I you can't yeah. really look at your phone while
3: you're watching. It's it. quite so, dense. Yes. Yeah. So
1: if you were trying to do any like black Friday phone shopping, good luck while also <laughs> watching 1899.
3: Um, um, I have one more recommendation oh, for please. you. Starstruck which I think is a show that's frequently mentioned mentioned on Jam Session. The third and final season of that just came out um, a little bit ago on HBO Max or The Max. And, you know, it's just a delightful show. Uh, Episodes are like maybe 30 minutes, and it's only a six-episode season, if I'm remembering correctly. So very easy to breeze through. I think all seasons are only six episodes, so could easily breeze through that in a few nights and it's just very delightful rom-com
1: and speaking of, just to, to cap us off I'll do another piece of British popular culture which is if you're one of the five people in the world who hasn't seen Beckham that mm. seems like an amazing even if you just watch the first two episodes if you've got anybody in the family who's a sports fan I think that they would really enjoy watching Beckham yeah and that's I on would Netflix
3: co-sign that
1: so, Kaya, I hope you have a lovely Thanksgiving. We can wrap it up there. That's five or six or seven shows that you should check out uh, during the Thanksgiving break. Andy and I will be back next Monday, and we'll, we'll get back on top of all the new TV.
0: This episode is brought to you by State Farm.